A leader that won't listen to others will eventually be surrounded by people that have nothing to say. Andy Stanley. Hello, friends. Hey, family. Hey, mom. (laughs) I hope all of you are doing well. Welcome back or welcome to the Intentional Living and Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Cal Walters. I am in the middle of a very exciting series on the topic of servant leadership. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, you're catching me right in the middle of this series. So I, I would encourage you, if you have the time, to pause this episode Go back to episode 16 where I introduced this topic of servant leadership and then listen to episode 17 if you can, which is the first three principles of this uh, series. And then now I'm about to jump into the next three principles of servant leadership. Last week I talked about how servant leaders empower their team members. I also talked about how servant leaders give credit. They push the credit down and also how servant leaders take the blame, how servant leaders really take ownership over everything their team does or fails to do. This week, I'm going to cover three more principles of servant leadership, and that is that servant leaders care about the whole person, keyword whole. Also, servant leaders are generous to their team. And finally, servant leaders really listen to their team members. I hope that this series, as I'm going through this, provides you with a very specific framework for how to be a servant leader. Maybe you're like me and you kind of generally like the idea of servant leadership, but maybe you lacked, as I did, the ability to really get into the weeds about, okay, what does it look like to be a servant leader? What are some principles I can follow to go out and be a servant leader in my organization? I hope that's what this series can give you is some very specific principles to help anchor you in the often very disorienting and busy and pressure-packed world of leadership that these principles allow you to really have something to go back to and say, okay, if I really want to play the long game, if I want to be a leader that really creates an environment where people can succeed, where people get better, these are some principles I can go and employ even when emotions run high, when things get difficult, to be a servant leader and to really have a long-term impact on people and on your organization. I will say I have really enjoyed a lot of the feedback I've been getting during this series. So please keep that coming. If you're employing these principles in your leadership, I'd love to hear how you're doing that. If you're kind of learning something from this series, I would love to hear that. Some great ways to connect with me. Obviously, you can leave a written review on iTunes. That's one way to let me know and let the world know that you're getting something out of this, that you've learned something. Um, Also, you can email me anytime at calwalterspodcast at gmail.com. That's a way to get me directly and I'll respond to your email. You can also connect with me on Facebook at the Intentional Living and Leadership with Cal Walters Facebook page. I know that's a a mouthful. I'm sorry. But I was going to call it the Cal Walters Podcast, but you know, no one would know what that is. So I figured I better explain to people what it is since I'm not all that well known. All right. I want to jump right in. I know you're busy and I got a lot of content today. I think it's going to be really helpful for you. So I want to jump right in so that you get the most out of today. Number one principle that I want to cover today is that servant leaders care about the whole person. Servant leaders care about the whole person, keyword whole. As I've studied servant leaders, so I've kind of done some research on servant leaders, consistent among all that I've read, 
is this person, this leader who genuinely cares about their people. And I'm not talking about just during work hours. I'm talking about a leader who cares about the whole person, the person outside of the nine to five. And how you often see this manifested is in a leader who consistently asks their team members about things outside of work. Servant leaders understand that building true relationships with people requires getting to know the whole person. I'm not saying these leaders don't care about boundaries. I'm not saying they don't have boundaries. It's not, I don't think it's ever a good thing as a leader to become your team leader's you know, marriage and family therapist. I'm not saying that. I, but I am saying that within healthy boundaries, these type of leaders fundamentally know that building true relationships with their team requires getting to know the person beyond just kind of that surface level. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a leader that made you feel like that they really only cared about your work performance? I mean, really all they cared about was what you could do for them, what tasks you could accomplish. If you've ever had that type of leader, you know it doesn't feel really good. It doesn't feel great to have a leader who you literally don't think they could care less who you are or what your name is or where you come from or what your family life is like. Literally, the only thing they care about is getting the job done in that moment. I call these people transactional leaders. Leaders like this are very task-oriented and they're task-oriented all the time. They spend very little time getting to know the person behind the task. And I think these transactional leaders are like this for a couple reasons. Either they genuinely just don't care about their people. That's possible. I don't think that makes up the majority of these type of people. I think more often than not, these type of leaders are just too busy. They're too busy focusing on the tasks that they have to accomplish. They, they feel a lot of pressure. And so they're just too busy and distracted that they don't take the time to really invest in their people. I also think sometimes this flows out of just a leadership mentality where you don't see the value in making those investments. You don't see that return on investment, that ROI in taking the time to get to know your people. Now, here are the problems I think that come from having this kind of transactional leadership mentality. Number one, these type of leaders, these transactional leaders, they produce transactional followers. And so these transactional followers have very little loyalty to be at work, very little loyalty to the leader because the leader doesn't care about them, so they don't care about the leader. They have very little excitement to be at work. That's number one. Number two, you get a lot more turnover in these type of leadership environments. People, again, don't feel that loyalty, so they're more likely to leave, and that leads to a loss of institutional knowledge on that team. There's inefficiencies. You're having to now retrain. You're having to onboard new people. So that's a negative effect of this type of leadership. Number three is that this type of leadership may work short term, but it's not the type of leadership that's going to lead to any type of long-term success because so much of this type of leadership relies on the power and position of the person, not on an actual human relationship. And I think the saddest effect of this type of leadership is that this type of leadership really misses an opportunity to do what I call have that legacy of leadership. Every single time you lead someone, you have the opportunity to create a legacy of leadership. Now, I've had leaders that have impacted me in such a way that I remember them, I think about them, I respect them, and I, for the rest of my life, 
are going to appreciate the impact that those leaders had on me. And these are the type of leaders that went beyond the transactional type relationship and invested in me. These are the type of people I will reach out to for mentorship. These are the type of people I will tell my children about and my grandchildren. These are the type of leaders that really leave a legacy of leadership. And I think that if you take a purely transactional approach to your leadership, you miss out. You have this wonderful opportunity to create a legacy of leadership in the people you lead, but you miss out on it when you just view them as a person in a position that can accomplish a task and not an actual human being. Now, on the flip side of this, let me ask you another question. Have you ever had a leader who genuinely took the time to ask you about your life to ask you about your life outside of work and to get to know the whole you. In my last job, when I was a military prosecutor, this was a stressful job for me. This was a, I was prosecuting tough cases. You have real people who are dealing with very difficult stuff. You know, we were prosecuting cases where you had victims. And so it was very stressful and it could be all consuming. Oftentimes I was working late. I was working on the weekends. And about a year into that job, I had a change of leadership. I had a new leader come on board. And I remember I was going to be meeting her for the first time. And I kind of expected her to ask, you know, kind of the typical surface level, hey, how you doing? You know, tell me about yourself without any, you know, real meaning behind it. And and it wasn't that I prejudged her. That's just kind of what's often typical of someone who's taking over a new role. And then I expected her to jump right into asking me about these cases that I was prosecuting, asking me about work type stuff. And I remember that is not at all what she did. In fact, the first time I met with her, literally the first question she asked me, and she said, Cal, how you doing? And she didn't ask that in like a very generic way. It was legitimately, she was asking me, Cal, how are you doing? And she really cared about the answer. And I think when you have a leader, I think honestly, probably the best indication of a true leader is someone who will ask their people, how are you doing? And they actually care about the answer. And that's what she was. She said, Cal, how are you doing? And then she proceeded to ask me, Cal, how's your family life? How are you doing with managing the stress of this job with the stress of, I'm sure this is putting on your family life. How's your family doing? And then she said to me, she said, Cal, I want you to know it is priority for me that you have a healthy balance between your work life and your family life. She's like, I know this job is stressful, but I want to make sure you know that I care about the whole you. And I'm telling you, I almost got emotional in that moment because I was dealing with so much stress at work. My wife had a stressful job. You know, she was traveling a good bit for her job. You know, so it was just a difficult season of life for us. But I just remember that leader in that moment demonstrating that she cared about not just me at work, but outside of work. It had a significant impact on me. Leadership of real people is made up of moments. And what a leader does with those moments reveals the heart and leadership philosophy of that leader. Now, a top-down leader who thinks his team or her team is there to serve him or her doesn't see the value in these moments. But a servant leader who knows that his or her primary job is to connect with his or her team and inspire them to do great work, to further the cause, understands there's infinite value in moments. And I think moments and leadership typically fall into one of three buckets. I think there are the planned moments. There are the moments that are just kind of, they're intentional, but they're not necessarily planned. They're not on the calendar. And then there are the things I will call just the purely spontaneous moments. Each day we have moments with people. They come and go. 
the true test of a leader is what do you do with these moments? Now, the planned moments, these are moments that a leader creates by putting them on the calendar and meeting and set aside time to meet with people and build relationships. In the Army, one of the first things that a leader does when they take over a new job is they do what's called their initial counseling with their with their subordinates because they're going to rate these people on an annual basis. They're going to evaluate their performance. And so what they do is they first, they meet with them and they're supposed to do written counseling to say, hey, these are my expectations. This is a little bit about me. Let me get to know you. But I would say that should be a bare minimum of that planned moments that you get with your with your team members. You should be planning, I would say, weekly, monthly, sit-downs, one-on-ones, or at least one with you know your key team members where you are able to invest in them, learn about them, get to know them. It can be formal or informal, but these are ones that you put on your calendar. And as the busyness of life takes over, all those other tasks that you have to accomplish, you've put these on your calendar because you know these are things that if I neglect them, I'm not going to build these relationships with these key team members, and I'm not going to be able to know them as well. I'm not going to know what motivates them. So these are those planned moments that you have to schedule. The other type of the other bucket I would say are these intentional moments. Now these aren't necessarily planned on your calendar, but these are moments that you create as a leader where you go to your team members, you set aside the time, and you go and you visit them. You visit them in their office. You visit them by maybe the coffee pot where you go and you drink coffee with them. But you make an intentional effort to go and get to know them. You're not going to ask them necessarily about tasks. You're going just to spend time with them and ask them some questions. In the last, I'd say, two years, I had a leader who did this very well. He would literally just take probably 30 minutes of his day and he would just walk around to the different offices and he would just peek his head in and he would say, hey, Cal, how you doing? And it was not an effort to ask me about anything I was working on. It was just simply, hey, Cal, how are you doing? It was him showing his face, showing he cared, asking about my life, getting to know me a little bit. The great thing, too, from a leader's perspective is when you do this, you're in charge. So you go to them. So if you need to leave, you can pull out. I'll also say that I think in line with this is that I think the best leaders don't just flock to the people that they naturally connect with. Because I think every leader has people whose personalities, you just they jive with yours. Every leader probably has this tendency, this human tendency to kind of play favorites. But I think the best leaders intentionally go to those people that they know maybe they don't connect with as naturally. And they give all of their team members an equal amount or at least a significant amount of time and investment to get to know them. Now, if you work for a giant organization, let's say you have 2,000, 5,000 people, I don't know that it's realistic. It's certainly not realistic for you to get to know all of them on a very deep level. But you probably have at least, you know, maybe you have 10, 12, 15 direct reports. You should be spending time investing and in getting to know those people. And you can do that by these planned you know, on the calendar type moments. And you can also do it by these intentional moments. The third bucket of moments that I think we all have are what I would call spontaneous. These are just purely spontaneous moments. This is the, this is the moment where you as the leader, you're walking down the hallway, you pass one of your team members, maybe you see that their face is just kind of off. Maybe you ask them how they're doing and their response is kind of muted. These are those moments where as a leader, I think you can make or break your leadership. Because if you see a team member and you ask them how they're doing and you can just tell there's something bothering them, there's something off, you have a decision point in that moment to either just keep moving or to stop 
to pull them into your office and say, hey, what's going on? You seem a little off. Seems like something's bothering you. Tell me what is going on in your life. And I think when, when you take the time as a leader to make those investments, I think the return on that is incredible because these people know you care. You also have a little sense. Maybe something significant's bothering them from work. Maybe it's outside of work. But you as a leader need to know what's going on in their life in a very real way. These moments, they add up over time. These moments, time and time again, consistently make up to relationship building. Simon Sinek has this great question that he often asks. He talks about the relationship between person and their spouse. And he's, he's, the question he asks, is says, what was the moment that you started to love your spouse? And it's a great question because most of us, there was a time when we didn't know our spouse. And then now we're you know, in love with our spouse. And so what was that moment in which we said, hey, I love this person? Well, the reality of it is that's just not how relationships happen. Most of us, that's kind of an unfair question because relationships are built over time when you invest in these consistent moments. And so I just want to encourage you to view leadership that way, to continue to consistently invest in your people. And over time, as you consistently make those deposits in your people of getting to know them, over time, you're going to build these deeper relationships. They're going to build loyalty in them. And you're going to have a team where you understand them. And you're going to be able to, to truly lead them based on your knowledge of who they are. In Simon Sinek's book, Leaders Eat Last, he talks about this very successful CEO named Bob Chapman. I'm going to talk about Bob a few times today. Bob was this executive that we teach MBAs to be, says Simon Sinek. He was good with numbers. He loved the game of business. He made decisions based on data, market conditions, and financial opportunities. He thought business was something you measured on spreadsheets. He saw his people as one of many assets that he had to manage to help him achieve his financial goals. And then one day, there was this powerful moment where his perspective changed on leadership. He was sitting in a church. He was watching this wedding ceremony. The groom was at the front of the church, as often the groom is. He was at the altar, and he was waiting on his beautiful bride to walk down the aisle. And then the bride walks down the aisle hand in hand with her loving father, her father who's there to protect her, and he's gripping her tightly as he walks her down the aisle. And then when the time came, the father, the father who had raised this, this wonderful girl, he now very hesitantly but confidently hands his precious daughter over to her future husband. And in that moment, Chapman, who's watching this wedding unfold, he says, that's it. He said, that is it. Just as that father is entrusting his precious daughter to another person, I, as the CEO, as the leader of this organization, have been entrusted with precious people. Because you see, every single person that's under his care, is under your care, under my care as a leader, is someone's son, someone's daughter, someone who is cherished. These are real lives. These are real people that are devoting really their most precious resource, which is their time, to a cause. And that you and I have this incredible position of being their leaders. And if we view it in this way, if we view it as stewardship, it changes everything. So I just want to encourage you to genuinely love your people. Care about the whole person. Make the most of those moments, those planned, those intentional, and those spontaneous moments to build relationships with your people. Have boundaries, but give them your time, give them your attention, and give them your heart. And I think you will find that as you employ this, that you are going to have team members that are infinitely more loyal, 
team members that are more fulfilled, team members that are more open and honest with you. And you as the leader are going to better understand what motivates your team because we're all motivated differently. You're also going to understand what's affecting them. What's affecting them at home? What issues are they having? What medical issues are they having? What relationship challenges are they having at work and away from work? And I also think that you too as the leader are going to feel a deeper connection to your work and you're going to feel a deeper connection to the people that you lead. It'll feel more like a family than a kind of sterile work environment that I think often is present when we really don't invest in our people and we take this kind of transactional approach. I love this quote by Maya Angelou. You've probably heard it. But she says, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And I think as a leader, your hope and my hope ought to be that people, when they're on our teams, that they remember more than anything how we made them feel. We made them feel like they were valued, like they were human, like they were valuable members of our team. So I hope that you will let this be a principle that anchors you in the busyness and the in the pressure of leadership. I hope you will be someone who intentionally gets to know the whole person, someone who asks questions about people to get to know who they are, not just nine to five. All right, so that's principle number one. Principle number two is that servant leaders are generous to their team. Servant leaders are generous to their team. And I think when you look at treatment of leaders towards people on their team, I think you kind of have three categories of how people treat their team. Either one, they abuse or mistreat their team members, and I hope that that's never you. Number two, almost like a net zero. They don't harm their team, but they don't really invest in their team. This is probably more the transactional leader type bucket. And then number three is you have a group of people, a group of leaders who, who intentionally add value to the people on their team. And I've already mentioned what a great leader my last boss was when I was a prosecutor. But another way that I think she demonstrated servant leadership is this principle where she was extremely generous to her team. If you've ever worked in an office environment, you know how important office snacks are and that food can be really important for morale. And one of the things that she did is every single week, her and her husband would restock the office with incredible office snacks. I'm talking like some of the best of the best snacks you could have. And it was great for morale, but it also demonstrated to us, all the members of the team, in a very real way that she cared. It showed that she valued all the hard work that we were putting in, that she wanted to show us how much she cared, even in these small ways. She wanted to make sure we had what we needed every single day to be able to do the work that was required to be on that team. By getting us these snacks each week, she was being generous with her time. She was on the weekends going and getting these snacks. She was being generous with her money. She was spending a lot of money each week to support us, to help us have these snacks at work. And she was also being generous with her energy. This is energy that she could have been using to do other things, to recharge herself. But she was taking that time and buying these snacks for our office. And I'm telling you, it made a significant impact on how it felt to be on that team. You felt like she cared, that she really was serving you. She, she valued the contribution that you were making to the team. And she was also generous with her time and energy in other ways. And I think you often see this with a leader who's generous in one way, they're gonna be generous in other ways. Despite working longer hours and harder than I think anyone 
in that office, she would always take the time to give you career advice if you needed career advice. She would answer any questions you had. She would provide you with mentorship. She would give you honest feedback on your performance to help you get better. She would also ensure that you were well-resourced. She was someone who, if there was ever an issue, if the printer was down, if a software program wasn't working, she was gonna use her position and her influence to make sure you had the resources you needed to go and accomplish the tasks that you had to accomplish. And I think that just demonstrates that she was generous with her time, her energy, and her resources. As someone who was on her team, I felt loyal towards her. I felt like I wanted to work hard for her. I felt like she cared about me as a person. And it was all because of her generosity. And she's someone I will talk about till the day I die. And that's that legacy of leadership that she left because she used that opportunity and that role to serve her people as opposed to expect us to serve her. And by her serving us, it made me want to serve her. It made me want to work harder. It made me not want to ever disappoint her. And I think that's the power of servant leadership. Let me share with you another example, I think, of generosity that's pretty powerful. Have you ever been to a Costco? You probably have. My family loves some Costco, and you may be in the same boat. In fact, sometimes when we don't have anything to do, we'll just go to Costco. We'll just hang out. Costco is like an activity for us. The problem is it's a little bit dangerous. In fact, Costco has this way, I don't know if you can relate, of helping me discover the things that I need that I never knew I needed. I mean, who knew that I needed 25 giant muffins for my family of three? Who knew that I need 100 rolls of paper towels when we barely have room for our own clothes? It's almost to the point where I'm gonna have to buy a storage unit just to house this lifetime supply of K-cups that I get from Costco. Many of you may be familiar with Costco, like my family, but maybe you've never heard of a guy named Jim Senegal. There's a good chance that you have it because Jim Senegal isn't a flashy guy but that's the founder of Costco. He works in a very unremarkable office with folding chairs and folding tables. He answers his own phone. He takes a salary of only $350,000 a year, which may seem like a lot of money, but that puts him in the bottom 10% of CEOs of large corporations. Now, retail experts give a lot of attention to Senegal's formula for success. He offers a limited number of items, He relies on high volume sales. He keeps costs as low as possible and he doesn't spend any money on advertising. But one of the biggest differences that he has, that Senegal has, that his competitors don't, is the way he treats his employees. In fact, it really gives him an edge. He believes in paying his employees well and offering them good benefits packages. Costco employees are paid an average 42% more than their chief rival. And as a result, Costco has some of the most loyal employees you will find. In fact, they have the lowest employee turnover rate in all of retailing. He also has an open door policy with his employees. He wears an employee name tag just to show that he's one of the team. He's on a first name basis with almost everyone in Costco. He makes sure to visit every single Costco at least once a year. In fact, one time, Senegal, he flew from Texas to San Francisco when he heard that a Costco executive was hospitalized. But to that particular executive where he flew out to see him, no surprise. That's just what they expect of Jim Senegal. And even when he got pressure from Wall Street to focus more on shareholders, Senegal remained steadfastly focused on his employees. Senegal believes in building a business that will stand the test of time. And he believes in legacy and relationship. As he said, Wall Street is in the business of making money between Tuesday and Thursday, but we're in the business of building a business that will last 50 years from now. 
In fact, in 2009, when the slowdown of the economy started to hit retail really hard, and while everyone else was trying to figure out how to cut costs and they were looking at employee benefits first, Jim Senegal was on the exact opposite end of that spectrum. In fact, he approved a $1.50 an hour wage increase for his people because he said, look, when people are struggling, when our economy is struggling, our people need more, not less. There's something about this type of leadership that just feels right. It just feels right on a human level. And I really want this type of leadership to be successful. I really do. I'll be honest with you. But the beauty is that this type of leadership is actually also good from a return on investment standpoint, from a pure business standpoint. If you look at Costco's stock over the past three decades, Costco's stock has doubled the S&P 500. If you were to invest money in the S&P 500, just pure S&P 500 index fund over the past three decades, you would have a 600% increase. If you'd invested in Costco, it was a 1,200% increase. So this just shows that being generous to your employees, investing in your employees makes good business sense. It also creates more loyal employees. So I just want to encourage you to be generous to your people with your time, your energy, and your resources. It will make them actually want to serve you more. Principle number three for today, and we'll cover this quickly so we can finish up, is that servant leaders listen. In the book, Leaders Eat Last by Simon Sinek, he shares a story about Bob Chapman. I've already mentioned Bob, but Bob Chapman was the CEO of a collection of manufacturing companies. His company, what they do is they buy companies that are struggling, and instead of bringing in a consulting firm, which a lot of these type of companies do, Chapman, what he does is he's just a really great listener. He sits down and he listens to the employees and he listens to the stakeholders. He took over this one manufacturing company that had a very restrictive work environment. The employees sat at their workstations in the morning and they waited for the bell. And then once the bell sounded, they started work. And then every few hours, the bell would ring again and they could take a break. And then the bell would ring again and they would get to take their lunch. And it was just this very restrictive environment. So when Bob Chapman sat down with one of the employees when he had just taken over, The employee was hesitant to be honest with Bob about the nature of the company, but he's like, look, I'll be honest with you if you promise I'm not going to lose my job. And so Bob, of course, like, tell me the real deal. Tell me what's going on in this company. How can we make things better? And that's just because the previous leadership had created this culture of fear where people didn't feel like they could be honest. So once Chapman kind of assured the person like, hey, you're not going to lose your job. Just be honest with me. Tell me what's going on. The the employee just started to unload on me. He said, look, you guys just don't trust us as employees. There's this totally different culture between the leaders and the employees. We have to basically live our entire day by these bells. You don't trust us to go and get spare parts in the spare parts area. We have to ask a leader or an executive to get the key to go get the spare parts. We don't have access to anyone. In fact, if we want to call home, we have to go and ask to use a payphone, and then we have to pay for the payphone to call home, whereas the leaders and the executives and the engineers, they can call anytime they want. And so the beauty is that Bob Chapman took the time to make this person feel comfortable. He took the time to create a culture where this person could be honest. And then when this person was honest, Bob listened, which is the beauty of, of listening, and then he made some changes. So what Bob did is he says, hey, we're taking out all the clocks, We're going to remove all the bells. I'm going to order that the locks be removed, the spare parts cage, the employees have full access to it. I'm going to remove all the fences. I'm taking away these pay phones. I'm going to make company phones available for all the employees. Now the employees can go anywhere they want to go, and I'm creating a culture of trust. 
And the beauty is that it worked. By Bob listening and then by responding, he was able to rally the workers. In fact, people paid their own vacation days to help another employee who needed some special vacation days because of some family situations. People actually started to enjoy their jobs. Employees helped other employees solve other problems. Everyone was pitching in, so it created these efficiencies in their processes. Machines were breaking down less and less frequently, which lowered expenses. In fact, in the period after Chapman took over, he saw a revenue increase of 40 million dollars and that's the value of taking the time to actually listen to your employees servant leaders value diverse opinions they seek diverse opinions in fact some of the best leaders that i have ever seen ask the best questions and they don't just ask good questions they genuinely listen i love this quote from steve jobs i'm not saying steve jobs was the perfect servant leader in fact i don't know that he was a servant leader but he at least saw the value in asking questions and listening is this quote that he says, it doesn't make any sense for us to hire smart people and then tell them what to do. We hire smart people so they can tell us what to do. I think also by listening to people, you understand what motivates them. We all have different personalities. We all have different sources of motivation. And the more you get to know your people, the more you listen, the more you ask questions, the more you're going to understand what motivates them. So I just want to encourage you to be a leader who listens be someone who seeks first to understand your people. Going back to that Stephen Covey principle that I talked about in episode four, seek first to understand and then to be understood. That's principle number three. I want to encourage you to employ that in your leadership. I want to ask you two kind of fundamental reflection questions. You can ask these with your team. You can bring in your team if you want to ask these as a group. You can ask these just to yourself and do a self-reflection. But I do want to encourage you to really get the most out of this. Ask yourself these questions. Number one, make a list of your team members. And then I want you to list out the things that you know about them outside of work. Here are some questions. Do you know their spouse's name? Do you know their children's names? Do you know where they're from? Do you know what their hobbies are? Do you know their short and long-term goals? Do you know what motivates them? Do you know their strengths? Do you know their weaknesses? Do they know their strengths and weaknesses? And how do you think that they think you are doing as a leader. Those are just some questions, but I just want to encourage you, write down write down Bob's names, and then I want you to write down everything you know about Bob, and maybe some things that you don't know about Bob that you should know about Bob, because that just demonstrates how much effort you're putting into and in getting to know people outside of the nine to five. And then question number two, they say that if you want to know how a leader's doing, ask the people that they lead. So I just want to ask you in terms of taking advantage of those moments that I talked about, how would your employees say that you're doing? and taking advantage of those moments, those planned moments, those intentional moments, and those spontaneous moments. How would your people say that you're doing at investing in them? So guys, I hope this was helpful for you today. I hope this is something that you can go out right now and put into practice in your leadership. I hope this maybe stimulated some thoughts for you as a leader about what you're doing well, maybe some areas of improvement. I would love to hear from you. Tell me, how are you doing? Do you agree with this? Do you disagree with this? Is there anything in this that you find difficult as a leader? I know there's a lot of this that I find challenging. The reason these are principles is because it allows us to ground ourselves on things that matter long-term. This is not a short-term key to success. This is a long-term way of building a long-term organization that will have lasting success and you as a leader will have that legacy of leadership. If you did get something out of today, I just want to encourage you to continue to subscribe to the podcast, give a written review on iTunes. I think what that does is it improves the algorithm 
on iTunes that allows other people to consume this podcast. I would also appreciate a rating on iTunes. That means a lot to me. Please share this with a friend if you think they'll benefit from it. And again, thank you so much for listening to this podcast, for giving this podcast your most valuable resource, and that is your time. I'll be back next week to finish up this servant leadership uh, series where I'm going to cover the last three principles on servant leadership. I can't wait because I love this topic. I'm getting a lot out of this. I hope you are too. Go out and make the most of your leadership. Remember that you know at the end of the day, people want a leader who is authentic. People want a leader who's real. Not a leader who's trying to be right and not a leader who's trying to use their position to get what they want. Go out there and serve your people, invest in your people, get to know your people, learn what motivates them and watch your organization flourish. Make the most of this opportunity you have, this beautiful opportunity you have to lead people, to make a difference in people's lives. You're never going to regret that. Make the most of it because we only have so much time in this life. We've got to make every day count. Life is short. Go make it count.